connection with our exhortation this evening, our brother has asked us to read from the book of Habakkuk, the third chapter, the first six verses, but also the last verse of the second chapter. The third the book of Habakkuk, third chapter, starting with the 20th verse of the second chapter. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigonov. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, Revive thy works in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. Now let us give our attention to Brother Roth. Dear <coughs> brothers and sisters, friends of the Kentucky Bible School. I bring to you at this time my now seemingly annual <laughs> greeting uh, from the Ecclesia back on the East Coast. The uh, New England Ecclesias and the members of my home ecclesia, Katana, send you the greetings and the loves uh, in the faith. And we are happy to be the fortunate ones to carry them to you. My words this evening are going to be somewhat abridged uh, from the original form in which I intended to deliver them. Actually, we had hoped tonight to attempt a sneaky way to get a little more information uh, to our young people, which we have enjoyed immensely this week in our class uh, first period. And at the same time, hopefully, bring a very small object lesson to each of us who hope we are or consider ourselves to be, to some extent, familiar with God's truth as he has revealed it to us. There is a twofold purpose here. One is, I think, that the facts that are everywhere around us that bespeak of Almighty God uh, we are many times want to take for granted and 
if we want to but take the time to consider some of these things, uh, I think we can glean a little more appreciation of the power and the glory and the majesty of God as he exists, uh, perhaps in a little more vivid form than the much veiled symbolism uh, that is used in the scriptures concerning him. And this is from the mind of the younger believer particularly, uh, who has not learned how uh, to equate some of the uh, some of the descriptions which are given of God in Scripture. The if you will uh, bear with me a moment. We'll give a, a brief resume of the direction in which our discussions this week have taken us in class. Basically, one of the foundation stones that we find in Scripture is the fact that the Creator has power over that which He has created. And consequently, when we look about us, and consider the earth upon which we live and the universe in which it is situated and appreciate a little bit of the magnitude and the power that exists in the sun that eats the earth upon which we live and to consider that there are billions upon billions of other suns, many of them much greater than that one which sustains our lives here. And then we have already agreed to agree that he who created these things is even a greater source of energy than the things which he has created. It is a very staggering thought. So that with this in mind, uh, we already know a great deal about our God with respect to the the quantity of power which he has at his disposal. Another comment that we hope to uh, emphasize was the fact that the scope of the universe being as large as it is, if he indeed was the creator of these things, he had to get to infinity on that side of the universe, to infinity on that side of the universe, in order to create these things. And so that his omniscience, uh, which we have spoken uh, of and, and taught to us from the pages of Scripture is certainly a very logical conclusion to which we can come. Well, with some of these real uh, basic concepts fixed in our mind that ex- in an external and extraneous, uh, a remote uh, conclusion aside from the Holy Scriptures, and then we consider what the Scriptures tell, tell us about this God, that this all-powerful being has given mankind the another uh, form, manifestation of his creative talent, an opportunity to partake of that energy that has created the universe in which we live. It's a very humbling thought. And Christadelphians, I think, are pretty much unique 
in the fact that they are proclaiming that what the scriptures tell us concerning this God is that he desires to invest in us this nature. The primitive and uh, and uh, very illogical in many ways uh, theologies that exist around us which explain the separation of the body and the mind and the body uh, desisting and the mind continuing ad infinitum forever and ever uh, compared to the glorious uh, explanation the scriptures give concerning the basic concept that God is going to invest in certain living creatures his glory and his power is the name of Christodophianism uh, and I think in, in, to a very large extent in a very singular way and this information is perhaps in essence uh, the nitty gritty of the, the pearl of great price and if we can as young people concern ourselves with this basic concept we are well on our way to appreciating uh, that which uh, God would have us know. The thinking in another direction uh, that I wish to emphasize tonight was somewhat of a personal problem because having recognized God's basic concept for a long time, and I, I hope that I am not alone in, in this failure. Uh, many times I encounter something in Scripture which at my old age surprises me a little that I haven't recognized more clearly much sooner than I have. Uh, one of them concerns uh, an incident where a brother came to speak uh, to our collegia and delivered a lecture in which he just happened to mention something about uh, the anthem the Lord is in his holy temple. Now, all of a sudden, it occurred to me that the full significance of the words that we utter in that anthem just never uh, pulled themselves together to make any great sense to my mind. Uh, and I began to think, well, why, uh, where does this take place? How does it take place? What's involved with this? What, what particular point in time is this anthem referring to? And where is it in scriptures? And so forth. And, of course, we began to pursue this. Uh, needless to say, when we start to consider this specific subject, we get right back to the subject that we said was so important to our understanding correctly the way of God, do we not? Namely, the manifestation of deity in flesh, which is our basic building stone. There's some interesting comments that we might make, and I hope that these might. Uh, again make a great deal of sense to our young people there is an incident in scripture which perhaps we, we are all so familiar with because I think it is the only incident in scripture where Christ used physical violence as a means of attaining an end and of course by now you know that I'm concerning myself with the incident where Christ went into his father's house the temple 
and he overturned the tables of the money changers and with a squirt he drove them out for polluting in a sense. <laughs> they had ecological problems in that day and age also for polluting the basic concept of the temple uh, which was established for, uh, for worship of the Father. We want to turn for a moment to the second chapter of John and read the 13th through the 16th verses. We have the incident recorded. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house in a house of merchandise. Now keep that incident in your mind and let us now and also keep in mind the basic concept that God wishes to impress all of us with namely that his whole purpose with the earth upon which we live is to invest it with his glory and to have previously fleshly manifestations or uh, abodes for the investiture of that glory Let's look at the familiar passage in 1 Corinthians. The third chapter, the 16th and 17th verse, where Paul is talking to those who have been convinced of the, uh, the need, the responsibility of an individual dedicating himself to God. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Well now, of course, you know, we begin here uh, to wonder whether there's any correlation between these two incidents in, in any symbolic way whatsoever. And the use of symbolisms is one thing that's probably very difficult for a young mind to grasp uh, the scope of the intentions of the spirit word with respect to impressing the mind in a, in a teaching format. The use of symbolism in scripture to help us understand more clearly what, what it is that God desires us to know. Well, keeping that passage in Corinthians in mind, let us look at one more, returning again to John in the same chapter where we read concerning the overturning of the uh, tables. And read of another comment made by Christ. The second chapter, and read the 20th and 21st verses. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But, it says, an explanatory note by the mind of the Spirit, 
he spake, Christ spake, of the temple of his body. Point being made very clearly here that, that there is an equation that we are able to uh, conclude here that the temple or a temple or a house in which the Father wishes to abide uh, uh, is used, this symbolic language is used to describe an individual's body, obviously. Well, perhaps, for example, now, uh, we might conclude that the reaction which Christ had in the sense in where he entered his father's house and violently overthrew the changers of the, uh, the exchangers, those who were uh, uh, making for their own profit a place of business out of, out of the Lord's house, was for the specific purpose of impressing our minds with the fact of how important it is for us to keep extraneous and unacceptable uh, influences from invading the temples of our body. Uh, I think it's worth consideration whether or not that, uh, that thought lies within the, uh, that bit of instruction or not is perhaps a new question. But obviously, the rest of the scriptures and the exhortations of the apostles uh, certainly seem to lead us uh, to that same conclusion. Namely, that we should, violently or any other way, if necessary, exclude from defiling the temple which is, in the eyes of God, our bodies, which we have given as a living sacrifice unto him. In carrying on uh, the thinking in this respect, uh, the classes which we have enjoyed this week have been politically interspersed with allusions to two our basic thoughts, has it not? The, the manifestation of deity in the flesh in typical and instructive ways concerning in Brother Ted's class the tabernacle, uh, in many ways, allusions to the manner in which God sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever should uh, uh, relate themselves to him should have an opportunity of uh, attaining to eternal life. And instructing us send the pages of scripture so that when we look upon Christ as our prime instructor, that we can see reflected in his actions, thoughts, words, the Father himself. For when Christ spoke, it was as if the words came from the Lord because he sat completely in tune with the Father. We have had allusions to the desire for God to invest his glory in a people, initially natural Israel, uh, for the specific purpose of making his name a glory in the world, and they failed, we know, according to the testimony historically in scripture, very dismally. Uh, in fulfilling his desire in that case. Uh, 
And then we have the many allusions to spiritual Israel, the counterpart of natural Israel. We, the believers in Christ and all his principles, and who pretend or uh, that's perhaps a poor choice of words, who feel we in detail understand the sacrifice of Christ and what it achieved, and thereby become a substitutionary vehicle in which the Lord intends uh, to place his glory. There is an illusion uh, as well as re- references to the uh, to the temple as being equated to the body. Uh, the tabernacle also, which I think came up in one of our quiz programs the other night. I think that's uh, maybe the same reference in Second Peter. The first chapter, the 13th and 14th verses, yeah, I think it neat. As long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. And so we have a basic uh, teaching revealed to us here relating to the instruction of the Lord as uh, he gave it to us in great de- detail when he explained the purpose of the tabernacle and its appurtenances to natural Israel many centuries previous. There are many uh, concepts related to the line of thinking in which we're directing ourselves that we uh, could choose to concern ourselves with. But I think that basically uh, we just want to leave impressed upon our minds this evening without overlooking any of the details this very fact that a simple thing like an anthem to the Lord, the Lord is in his holy temple, is explicit of a very great masterful plan uh, which God is, is uh, causing to uh, occur around us. We can look around us and see the many beautiful and wonderful works of his hands. Uh, another thing uh, that was, I hope, uh, emphasized in our class was the fact that every type of system known to man in the very minutest detail that man can acquaint himself with it in the fields of biology, astrophysics, uh, uh, medicine, uh, whatever, we find ordered systems predominant. We always have ordered systems, systems with plan and intellect behind them. 
And it's a very basic uh, a comprehension to appreciate this fact because we recognize that the very ethereal and illogical plans that are offered to us uh, as alternatives to the Holy Scriptures for explaining God, uh, whom we can in many ways observe without even uh, referring to Scripture, uh, are not consistent uh, with the observations that we make. There was one more uh, comment that I would hope to uh, spend a little more time with in preparing my thoughts before I delivered them, and I didn't get that opportunity. <laughs> but uh, it is in line with the fact that we now have established that it is God's desire to dwell in us, as it was his desire to dwell in the midst of Israel, in the middle of the encampment, in the center of his chosen people. He desired to be God with them, Emmanuel, in type. And in that Holy, most holy place uh, we've been studying all week of his desire to uh, display his glory there. And we now get to the consideration of our direct relationship to God's plan, namely in the form of an individual ecclesia. And some of the thoughts that were so beautifully brought out this week with respect to uh, what part do we play as an ecclesia in this? Now, uh, we in the, in the great uh, example that was given unto us that everything that Christ did manifest, manifested the mind of God and that it is our responsibility as individuals to attempt to emulate that same manifestation of the Spirit. I don't think there are any of us here that even feel that we are coming close, obviously, to the degree in which Christ did this. But this basically is the means whereby we hope to someday have invested in our tabernacles the spirit nature of God himself and have bestowed upon us immortality. I just have some notes that I took from Dr. Thomas that I think I have assembled here coherently enough so that we can appreciate them. And then perhaps many of us can relate them to some of the comments I think particularly that Brother Bud made with respect to the fact that we are now a priesthood. We are indeed a priesthood. And Dr. Thomas so beautifully states these that I have uh, notated them here and show uh, other than at this time. An ecclesia of Christ is A. The altar and them that worship therein. This I have made a comment that corroborates Brother Bud's comment that our current status is indeed a royal priesthood. All who constitute this altar as being related to an individual ecclesia, have been cleaned in the labor of water, mark the agenda here, with doctrine, have been cleaned in the labor of water with doctrine, 
pass into the Christ altar and become one with it. This refreshes my mind to a, a, a portion of Brother Ted's class where we made note of the fact in the reading, I think, that the priest had to watch before he went in to attend to the appurtenances within the holy place, and also in the other direction, when he went out and spoke to the altar, that he had to uh, uh, watch in that, when he traveled in that direction also. Passed into the Christ altar and became one with it. In death they lie under the altar, or sleep in Jesus. If by any chance they be slain, they comprise the blood souls under the altar, crying for vengeance. In life they are also worshippers, having access by faith into the heavenlies. We have in parentheses here God's presence, where Christ sits at his right hand. Now we have access as priests into the Most Holy by faith. Being constituents of the altar, they comprise a royal priesthood, and that, of course, is our reference in 1 Peter 2.5, daily offering up spiritual sacrifices in deity through Christ Jesus. Uh, that reference, we will look at 1 Peter 2.5, And spared not the old... I'm sorry. That's <laughs> Second Peter. First Peter 2, 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And this, of course, fits in very nicely with our basic thought of the evening, the fact that a spiritual house is another way of saying a spiritual temple. And we are in type uh, now attempting to manifest that nature which will someday be invested uh, in full within our, the, the same uh, framework of our bodies. But in the truest sense, we will become uh, the temple of the living God. And we will truly manifest as someone else, I believe, recently uh, in one of the exhortations mentioned, without any effort at all, we will manifest, and what a glorious feeling we can look forward to in that respect, truth and all the other attributes, just, justness, uh, that are explained to us concerning the Father uh, and his growth nature.